church. It's always um, a somber time, isn't it? On Friday at 11 o'clock, I was actually at work. I was visiting somebody in Bromley um, who's very sick. And at 11 o'clock, I happened to be outside a school, opposite a school, and all the children came out in the playground and the bugle went. And so I stood on the other side of the gate and listened, stopped with them for a minute or two while they were um, thinking about war. And I have to say that I am of a generation that hasn't known war um, and so I feel really privileged. I can't imagine what it's like um, to actually be in a war, to live through a war, to struggle through a war. That's something that I'm blessed never to have had experience. My grandfather was killed in the war. Um, he was 36. And when he died, but not before he had my mother. <laughs> you know, when you look back over your ancestry, over your history... You know, from my mother, um, and then my grandmother in her grief tried to kill my mother, but she didn't succeed. Um, and then from my mother came six children, from those six children came nine grandchildren, and this year we see a set of twins being born into our family for the next generation. All from my grandfather, who gave his life so that we might be free. And when you look back, you can see the hand of God on your life, can't you? You can see how God has kept, I, f I feel that God has kept me, God has watched over me and has brought me to such a time as this for a purpose. And so I f when I reflect on that at this time of the year, I feel incredibly privileged um, and want to give God everything I have in my life. Um, <clears throat> an interesting week, a very interesting week for the world. Uh, <laughs> And as I woke up on whatever morning it was, was it Wednesday morning? Was it the I was quite kind of shocked. <laughs> However, I wasn't surprised. But you know what? My first thought when I woke up was, oh my goodness, this man has been raised, been chosen and raised to a position that is going to impact the whole world in one day. But there was another day 2,000 years ago when a man impacted the world in one day, when he rose from the dead, not just for a generation, but for eternity. And I thought, Donald Trump, you are not in charge. <laughs> you might think you are, but you are not. You know, God used Pharaoh. God used donkeys. God doesn't mind who he uses. God will have the ultimate say. God doesn't mind who he uses because God has an ultimate plan. I will draw all men unto me. And we haven't got a clue what it would really take to draw all men unto God, but God does. And God allows, and Mark uh, brought a great scripture on Wednesday at the prayer meeting about how God sometimes causes confusion in the earth, but he's still in charge. He still knows what's happening. It hasn't come as a surprise. And I know that in my own life and my own experience and my own understanding of the word, God has so many different strategies for drawing people to him. And through suffering, through difficulty. However, on a serious note, I do think it's a fearful time in terms for people living in America, for the rest of the world, for the impact that he might have. But it doesn't change the fact that God is in charge. And we pray to a God who, who will fulfill his plans and purposes in the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Donald Trump, that, <laughs> that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. And we don't have to worry about that. We do not have to be fearful. We sung this morning, I am a child of God. I'm not a child of fear. And we don't have to respond to the fear of what's happening in the earth. We just have to look to the one who holds the earth in his hand and who is in charge. So I went off to work feeling much better having philosophicalised that and <laughs> put, my, put the world in order. <laughs> I went off to work feeling quite happy. We, we're in this um, session of move, movement and multiplication. It's um, the third uh, autumn season that we've done this. For those of you who've been with us through that time, we're looking at lessons from the early church and I'm following on from Mark from last year. Uh, last week, sorry. <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> um, from Mark from last week. <laughs> and so this morning we're going to be looking at Acts 14, um, uh, 21 to 28, which follows on from Mark. And um, I'll just read those few verses. And they preached the gospel in that city. This is Paul and um, Barnabas. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And Paul and Barnabas um, appointed elders from, from them, uh, for, for them, sorry, for each church. And with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They were, putting, they were choosing people who would put their trust in God to lead the church. Um, and, <clears throat> and after going to Poseidia, they went to um, Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went on to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch. I know why you gave me this passage now. <laughs> Where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that was now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered to church, the church together reported all that they had done through them and how they had opened doors of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there with the disciples for a long time. So they had a rest. So we've got to a place here where Paul and Barnabas had completed their first missionary journey, but before they had completed it, they went back to all the churches that they'd visited to strengthen the church, to strengthen the believers and to appoint elders or leaders of the churches. Um, and then they went back and they told everybody about what had happened. They talked to them about their journey, what had been going on, and, and how God had opened the doors to the Gentiles. And then they stopped and had a rest for a while, which is probably a good idea after all that travelling. So perhaps the most important thing in these verses that I want to, I want to bring out this morning is to just talk about church leadership and, and why it's important. And I don't want to go into specifics. I want to sort of give a, a bigger picture thing this morning about church leadership. Because I don't think, just as I reflect back over my, my life and my ancestry and how I've got to this place that I've got to today, I think the two biggest influences on church leadership that people have is one from the early church model, which is what we're looking at, but also from church history and, and across various nations. Because... You know, why do we do what we do? Why do we come in on a Sunday morning? Why do we kind of sit around looking at uh, the platform? Why do we sing some worship songs and then have a... Who, who invented this structure? Why do we do church like this? Because church hasn't always been done like this over the centuries. 
Why do we do what we do? How have we come to this expression of church and church leadership and hearing God? And I think it's really important just to kind of have a look back. I read a really, really interesting book um, a couple of years ago, and then I gave it away to somebody. But it was about um, Britain's spiritual inheritance. And it went back right down back to the 3rd and 4th century when, when um, um, Christianity, it's thought, first came to this country and how it came and who brought it. And, of course, you've got to remember in those days, people didn't travel around like we do today. People were very static in their villages and in small cities. And, and, and so people would travel around from place to place, city to city, village to village, talking and preaching the gospel. Um, it was a very, very different setup to what we have today. Um, and it wasn't until the 14th century that the, tra- the Bible was translated into English. So in all that previous time, people were, people were converted through um, stories, converted through conversations. People might have had a, I don't know, what well, it would have been Greek, I suppose, or Latin, or who knows what, but they didn't have it in English. And people weren't always illiter- uh, were literate. And, and so it was a totally different concept of church and Christianity to what we understand today. And then in the 1500s, if you who know your history, um, with Henry VIII, when he broke away from the Catholic Church, this country was very Catholic at one time. That's part of our heritage, Catholicism in this country, until um, Henry VIII came on the platform and in history in the 1500s, and because he wanted to divorce his first wife, marry a second wife, and the Pope said he couldn't, that he then said, okay, I'll break away from the Catholic Church, and I'll become the father of the faith, he called himself, a defender of the faith, and I'll set up, you know, the Church of England kind of thing. So, you know, it's important when we think about why we do what we do, um, when we look back and see that it was Henry VIII out of his, well, you all know the story of Henry VIII and his, how many, six wives that he had, um, that um, the sort of man he was, and that is the foundation of some of the church, It's quite interesting, isn't it? It wasn't until the 1700s that we get people like John Wesley who started inviting people to a personal relationship with Christ and and how he then started teaching people about um, how to pray to God themselves and to come to a place of salvation. And then we started to see revival. And it really wasn't until about the 1700s, and that was a huge change in the history of the church in this country and down through history, God has used different people in different ways through, through revelation and through revival. Um, and and um, different denominations have sprung up, haven't they, in the last um, couple of centuries because of people's desire to, to, to um, emphasise a particular aspect of Christianity, the baptism for the Baptists. And John Wesley, I think, was a Methodist. And so, you know, different philosophies, different thinkings, different emphasis. And now we are here um, with lots of different denominations. Um, But we're living in unprecedented days. We really are. And it's very interesting. Um, On the 30th of March in 1851, on that one day, they took a census of how many people attended church. Um, There was a population in this country uh, at that time of about um, 17, nearly 18 million, and 11 million people were in church on that day. So 60% of the population 
were in church on that day in 1851 because church attendance was a weekly part of their life. It was part of their community. There was a church in the village or the town and it was part of social action. They helped the poor. They fed the poor. They were involved in education. Church, that was the function of church um, around the mid-1850s and moving forward. And so here we are now, and the last 80 years have seen a real decline um, in, <clears throat> in church growth in the mainstream churches. This is really interesting because that kind of philosophy and way of thinking in the mainstream churches has seen an incredible decline. But a different kind of church, a different philosophy, a different thinking, I'm not saying not using the Bible, I'm not talking about that, but a different way of doing church has kind of arisen. And if you look at this picture... Um, don't look at the black, because that's a forecast going forward to 2020, and only God can know that. But if you look on the left-hand side, and I know you can't probably see it, but if you look on the left-hand side, this is, this is obviously zero. So the churches that are declining, are ch all churches, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, which are the ones that are on the increase? The new churches, the Orthodox churches, and the Pentecostal churches. Why is that? Why is it? The blue stands for 2008 to 2013, and the black is for 2013 to 2020. Why is it that at this kind of church, a new type of church, a Pentecostal type of church, is actually on the increase? What is it? I think I, I read only 1.4% of people attend an Anglican church. This isn't a knock-on denominations. This is just the reality of how church is structured, how church is done, how church is organised, and how church is changing. And um, we're living in a really unprecedented time because what I think the church is doing, and this is my personal opinion, is kind of going back to its roots. It's going back to the early church type model where Jesus came to bring a kingdom on earth. He didn't come to preach a religion. He didn't come to get people to sit in rows and argue about whether there should be pews or chairs and argue about whether we should um, have an offering going around in a basket or whether we should have a box on the wall, which is what we've done over the years. And I think the church, some of the mainstream church, and again, this is my own opinion, you don't have to agree with me, some of the mainstream church has got so wrapped up in whether we should have women priests or women bishops or gay marriage or homosexuality, they've got so wrapped up in all of that that they've kind of forgotten about the main emphasis of what was the purpose of the church. And in my thinking, and again, not asking you to agree with me, I wonder whether that isn't why it's on the decline. <laughs> because God is trying to establish a kingdom on earth. We've got more people alive now than we've ever had. Seven billion people on the earth. And only in the last 200 years. Before that, there was only one billion. Something is happening in the earth. We've got a massive more number of people, multiplication of people, because we can keep people alive longer, people are fitter and stronger and weller. And we have, the world has changed incredibly in the last 200 years compared to history. And we've got to look at how that affects the church and the impact on the church. We want to be a part of the church style that God is developing in the earth. And I think the style of church, and I'm not talking about what songs we sing or what colour carpet we have. I'm talking about God is looking to establish his kingdom on earth. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. However we want to express that. 
whatever colour, shape or style it happens to form. But that has got to be the emphasis. And therefore church leadership has got to be in that style. And I know that in our church it is. That's what the style of leadership is, that we're seeking God, we're seeking Jesus front and centre in everything that we do. And, and yet... Um, we are seeing, even though we're seeing a decline in church attendance, we are seeing a greater manifestation in the kingdom of God on the earth than I think we've ever seen around the world. We had um, Pastor Abraham on the platform the other day, just listening to what he is talking about, where he's, they, miracles are a regular occurrence. People the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, and in parts of India, uh, it's just a regular occurrence all the time. And we know from some of the... The stories that Mark bring back, brings back um, about the things that are going on in other places in the earth. We can't look at ourselves in isolation. If we want to know what God is doing, we've got to look at what God's doing in the earth. We've got to look at what else he's saying in other places because we cannot grow in isolation of what God is doing. Otherwise, we'll become a church in decline. We can only grow in line with what God is doing around the earth. And we need to know what God is doing. We're living in a day when I think all restraints seem to have been lifted off humanity. I think people are lovers of themselves. And nothing, not even the darkest forms, seem to be off limits to mankind. We are living in dark days. And therefore, the Bible says quite clearly that when the enemy comes in like a flood... The Lord will raise up a standard against him. And I think what we're seeing going on in the earth is God raising up his standard. I don't remember a time in history or have read of a time in history when we can see the manifestation of the kingdom of God around the earth as we're seeing at the moment. And I think at BCC here we're about to turn the page on a whole new chapter in God. And that's why we've got to have an understanding of leadership historically in this country historically British people are not very good at following leaders and there's a lot that's gone on behind that but we've got to understand the purpose of leadership in the church we've got to understand God's purposes in the earth because we've got to have leaders we've got to have people that will go before and who will hear God to lead the church and that's why it's important not only that we've got leaders now but that we create leaders for the future one day, I'm going to be off this platform. That's the reality of it. My time will be up. If we don't have people to follow on, if we don't start building leaders, if we don't start identifying leaders, if we don't start growing leaders, then the church is going to be in trouble. That's our responsibility. I knew I had a leadership call on my life when I was in my early 20s. I didn't know what it was for. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know what form it would take. But I tell you what, before I ever got on this platform, I had hundreds of unpreached sermons. I'd studied, I'd worked hard, I'd prepared, I'd got myself ready as if I was going to be doing this, even though I didn't know I was. And God has brought me into, into this situation for such a time as this. And so we need to see what God is doing in our heart. We've got to prepare for the next generation Otherwise, everything we do will come to an end if we haven't got people um, to follow on. So there's a story in the Old Testament which I'm just going to run through. I'm just going to pull out three things this morning about leadership um, that I think is really, really important. And the first thing is this. Leaders must be able to believe God despite what they see with their natural eye. 
Um, in Numbers 13, Moses sent 12 spies into the land in Cana um, and he asked them to come back with a report. He wanted to know what the land was like, what the people were like, what the cities were like, what the produce was like, what did the land grow. And you know the t- story, the 12 spies went in, they spent 40 days and returned to Moses with a huge bunch of grapes and other produce from the land. And Moses and Aaron then gathered all the people together to hear the report and to show them what they brought back. And then the spies started off with a very positive report, didn't they? They said, well, yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And yes, there's plenty of fruit. Um, um, and Sorry, a fruit of the land. Um, and then they started talking about the people that they saw in the land. And the story changed. From bringing a report to making a judgment. Um, and this is what they said. Um, and I've just praised it for the sake of time, really. This is what they said. The people are strong. The cities are walled. The people are giants. They live in the hills. They live in the sea. They live along the coast. They were basically saying, look, they're everywhere and they're huge. They're huge and they're everywhere. This is what we saw. And Caleb, Caleb stood the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and possess it, for we're well able to do it. You see, Joshua and Caleb saw something else. They weren't looking with their natural eye. They were looking with their eye of faith. Because God had said, I'm going to give you the land. So they went in on the basis of, okay, let's go and have a look at what we're going to get. (laughs) And they explored the land, and they brought back a report, and they brought back some of the produce. But the other ten spies that went with them saw with the eye of fear. They saw with their natural eye. And they saw that, actually, this is really scary. They're everywhere. We can't do it. And so leaders have got to have that mentality where they can see what God is saying uh, and not see, and believe what God is saying and not see with their natural eye. And we have, uh, and not be afraid with what they see with their natural eye. And we've had scriptures into this church over the last few years about what God is doing and we believe that's what God is doing. And as a leader, you have to head towards what you know God is saying. And you can't be distracted or put off by what you see with your natural eye. Um, um, but then the men went up to him and said, um, we are not able to go up against those people for they are stronger than we are. And they, uh, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying... Um, the land through which we are going to search, it is a land that's eaten up the inhabit- that will eat up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw... Um, s- My eyesight's not that good. It's a bit like an eye test over there. Hang on. <laughs> and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Um, and there we saw the giants. We saw the sons of Anak. They came as giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were... In their sight. So these ten came back. I always, I've never forgotten, the, I can't remember who I heard it, but I heard it on a podcast about the story of David and Goliath. That when the army looked at Goliath, they all said, Man, he's so big, how can we overcome him? And David went up to Goliath and he said, Man, you're so big, how on earth can I miss? <laughs> It's the way you look at things. It's the way you look at things. 
And we've got to have, and leaders particularly, have to have an eye to see what God is saying and not be put off by what they see with their natural eye. Joshua and Caleb knew that God had given them the land as an inheritance. The second thing is that uh, leaders must be able to keep going forward even when everyone else wants to go back. You know, leaders need to know that you have to swim against the tide sometimes. And you really do. Sometimes, sometimes at work, sometimes in my life, I've been the only one swimming in one direction. But I've determined to keep going because in my heart I really believe that was right in God, to keep going in that direction. And leaders must be able to keep going forward even when everybody else wants to go back. And so here we have in that scripture, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in the wilderness, and therefore hath the Lord brought us out of the land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Where, where it were not better for us to return to, were it not better for us to return to Egypt, and they said that to one another, let us make a captain and return to Egypt. Those twelve spies all saw the same thing. They saw it so differently that ten of them came back so full of fear, and then they persuaded the whole congregation to uh, become fearful too, and then to want to turn around and walk back to where they had come from. They had obviously forgotten what it was like in Egypt, and they could be overcome by fear. Church, if we are not looking ahead, then the past will become our destination. That'll be it. We'll just park up here. We won't go any further forward, but don't think for one minute we'll stay where we are. We will start declining. We will start going backwards. You know, I think that we've reached a tipping point in this church. We haven't got any option but to go forward. The, The question is how? Because if we don't go forward and continue to go forward, we won't just stay at this nice, cosy um, setting. We will start to go backwards. People, people will start to leave. People, people will start moaning and complaining. Oh, it was much better the way we did it before. It was much better. Oh, why do we have to be all squashed up in these seats so that we can't cross our legs in between the rows? <laughs> do you know the church isn't here for you? The church is not, if you get squashed, come sit on the front seat, get here early. Get a seat at the front, like you do at the airport when you want to sit by the exit. You know, the church isn't here for us. The church, you know, we can soon start moaning and complaining and start wishing it was the way it was before. But we've reached a tipping point. We have to keep moving forward. We have to be united in leadership and in thought and in hearing what God is doing because there is a glimpse of what God is doing out there in the world within the leadership here in the church. And Mark doesn't keep travelling around the world for a jolly. (laughs) I hope you know that. He goes because he knows that God is connecting him and networking with him and showing him things. So as our leader here, he can come back and build that into the fabric of the church of what God wants us to do. Um, And so if we just park up here, we're just going to start slipping backwards. The third thing about leaders is this. Leaders must know how to strengthen themselves in God. You know, being a leader is tough. It's not 
glamorise. Please don't glamorise leadership. Please don't romanticise it. Leadership is tough. If you're a leader in your place of work, if you're a manager, if a leader, whatever it is you're leading, it's tough. And you will become the subject of people's anger and people's wrath as they were, the children of, of, of Joshua and Caleb were, when uh, the children of Israel didn't, um, didn't like what they were doing and wanted to stone him and Moses. Leaders must know how to strengthen themselves in God. And so... Uh, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephani um, who were of them who were of them had spied out the land rent their clothes Um, and they spake unto the congregation of the children of Israel saying the land which we have passed through to spy out is an exceeding good land if Jehovah delight in us Then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against Jehovah, neither fear ye the people of the the land, for they are bread for us. They are bread. What do you do with bread? You consume it. We'll consume them, he was saying. We'll consume them because God has said. And their defence is removed from over them. And if you go on to read about how the children of Israel conquered the land, very often God just went before them and did it. He confused their armies, they got stuck in the mud, they killed each other. There were loads of things that God did that the children of Israel didn't have to fight. He took away their defence. And Jehovah is with um, and Jehovah is with us, fear them not. But all the congregation bade stones for them. Uh, and stoned them, and the glory of the Jehovah appeared at the tent of the meeting unto the children of Israel. If you want to be a leader, you've got to know how to strengthen yourself in God. And, and what they did was they threw themselves on the ground before God and they tore their clothes. And they cried out to God for the sake of the people. Um, God will put into leaders his plans and his purposes. God knows the calibre of people that can handle leadership, as it were. And God will bring people together. When I look around the world, every week I listen to podcasts from different places in the world, from respect, leaders that I respect, because I want to know what's going on. I want to find out what's going on. I want to hear what they're preaching. I want to see how we are in line with what's going on in the earth. Um, and um, God has, will put into the hearts of leaders his plans and his purposes. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two people in that whole generation who entered the land. All the rest of those people remained in the wilderness and died. And God waited for the next generation. Now, it's always been my heart's cry that God would not wait for the next generation, but that we would be people who would agree with what God is doing. Paul and Silas chose people to run the church who trusted in God. And one of the difficulties and problems that church has had down through history is following a man. We're not following a man we're following Jesus, we're following God, we're not following a man, we're not following Mark, we're not following anybody, we are following Jesus. And we know that these men, these men and women in leadership follow God and seek to get God's heart for the church. Therefore we follow God. And Paul and Silas, sorry, Paul and Barnabas chose people whose hearts were for God and whose hearts were rooted in God. God is looking for people who have a heart to hear from him 
because we cannot move forward except in the context of what God is doing in the earth. We can't. Uh, we are part of a much bigger picture. We really are. BCC is not the be-all and end-all. Okay? We might be the best church in the area. <laughs> we might be the... <laughs> but you know what? It, it, to, to God, it's nothing. We are part of a much bigger picture, so keep your feet on the ground. <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> we are part of a much bigger picture. At the partners' meeting, Mark asked the partners, are we all in agreement um, um, for, to have a third service on a Sunday? And I saw pretty much everybody put up their hand. So now I've got another question for you. Are you going to make it happen? Because it's one thing to agree. It's very easy to agree. It's another thing to make it happen. Oh, do I really have to come down here and spend the whole day? Oh, do I... Listen, if you don't want to do that, it's... don't do it. If you really want... If you really, really believe this is the way we should go, then we've got to do it. Because I tell you what, we're not going to do it. <laughs> Nine of us aren't going to do it on our own. It won't happen. It won't happen. It's got to be, does the church really believe this is the way we're going to go? And if it does, then are you going to be a part of making it happen? You know, at work, if I go to my boss, my boss is an innovator. I, I hate spending too much time with her because she gives me too many things to do. My boss is an innovator, but if I go to her with an idea, she says, fine, make it happen. And I'm thinking, that wasn't actually what I meant. <laughs> If we believe this is what God's going to do, what are you going to do to make it happen? Because it's going to take the whole lot of us. It's going to take the whole lot of us to make this happen. The whole purpose of expend, extending, creating more space for people to come in is not so that we can run ourselves into the ground. Pretty much everybody in this church has a full-time job. You know, there are people on staff, of course, but lots of, a lot of people work full-time. So what are we going to do as a group? How are we going to make it happen between all of us? Because um, movement and multiplication means movement into new territories. Um, if we're just going to look with the natural eye about what it's going to take to create more space, there's going to be lots of moaning and complaining. But if we're going to look with, if we truly believe this is the way God wants us to go, then we need to be looking to God. God, how? How are we going to make this happen? How are we going to be making more space for people to come that we believe you're going to send us? For the children of Israel to step into the promised land, they had to move territories. They had to move from one place to another. And the further they moved into those territories, the further they moved away from where they were. You know, we have to really, and I have to, I've been around church a long time. I have to really examine myself and my understanding of how church should be delivered. Because if, it, if we're going to grow and expand, it can't be according to my way of thinking. Otherwise, we'd have already grown and expanded. If you want to go, who was it said this? Bill Wilson said, if you want to go to new places, you've got to do things that you've never done before. Because if, if the things you're doing now would take you there, you'd be there. So if you want to go to new territories, to new places, to do new things, if you want something you've never had before, then you've got to do things you've never done before. 
Um, and we need to be able to. God, but God will never force us. God will never force us forward. We can only go forward in faith and we need to be drawn. We need to catch the vision of what God is doing in order to want to make it happen. And again, as I said only a few weeks ago, we've got to position yourself to catch that vision. You've got to position yourself. You've got to find time to stop and be with God. Say, God, what's my part in this? What can I do? What do you want from me? If this is where I am as part of your body, the body of Christ, what can I do? And the wonderful thing is that God says in Isaiah, he says, behold, the former things have come to pass. New things do I declare. And before they spring forth, I tell you. Now, that's talking about the arrival of Jesus. However, it indicates to us that God will tell us ahead of time what he's doing. And if you look around the earth at what God is doing, you can see that he's setting the scene ahead of time. He's already showing us and telling us the direction he wants to go. God wants a church that will bring and usher in the kingdom of God onto the earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders from each church with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. When we follow leaders, as I said, we put our trust not in men, but in God. Um, And it's very scriptural to pray for leaders. Now, even though we might have thoughts about Donald Trump and even Nigel Farage, the Bible says clearly that we have to pray for our government. We have to pray for our government. And we need to do our part. And we need to pray for the American government. We need to pray for our government. We need to pray for righteousness and justice and and all the things. Uh, We need to pray for Theresa May because she is, um, you know, in a very vulnerable position. And we need to pray for them. Um, God wants to gift us. And so I'm asking you this question this morning. Is there leadership in you? Is there leadership in you? Have you ever thought about that? Is there leadership in you? Do you influence anyone? Because leadership is influence. You can call yourself a leader, but if no one's following you, you're not a leader. People follow leaders, and I don't mean on Twitter. (laughs) You'll know if you're a leader if people follow you, if if you have influence over people. Is there leadership in you? Because... If you think there is, then you need to begin to nurture and develop and grow what God is putting in you. Uh, Do you know what God is doing in the earth? Do you make it your business to find out? How many of you don't answer this, pick up the newspaper in the morning? Because you want to find out what's going on around the world and what happened on Strictly and who got thrown off X Factor. But do you really want to know what God is doing in the earth? It's so easy to find out. It's so easy to go on the internet and listen to podcasts from well-respected preachers all around the earth and to hear what God is doing. And I'm not saying everybody's saying the right thing. You've got to be picky on what you listen to. Do you make it your business to find out? Because we don't need more churches just so you can be called pastor. (laughs) We need people who will want to usher in the kingdom of God. People who will want to see God's kingdom established on the earth. People who understand the times and seasons like the sons of Issachar. Do you know what season we're in? Do you know what God is saying? Because there are times and seasons. And leaders who are willing to take to the... the, We need leaders who are willing to take the church to places that it's never been before. 
I want people to follow me who will take the church to places it's never been before. I was listening to Bill Johnson. Um, I listened to, he has his podcast, comes every Tuesday, and I listened to the Sunday preach from before. And he, his preaching over the last few months has all been about, you know, we need the church to rise up and, and, and usher in things we've never seen before. You know, to, to see the manifestation of God on the earth in people's hearts and lives and lives changed and people coming into the kingdom. You know, we don't need church as we've already had it in the past. We don't even need church as it is today. We need church as it's going to be. We need church as God is moving on. We need people who see and who want to bring the church to a place that it's never been before. We want leaders who are bold and brave enough to cry out to God and who are not put off when everybody else says no and you want to say yes and that you're not afraid to swim. We need leaders who are able to know how to strengthen themselves in God. We need people who will say, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, and really mean it. Team, could you come back? Thanks.